Welcome to West Virginia Beer Roads, a podcast all about beer from a West Virginia perspective. I'm Erin McCoy here with my podcast partner, Charles Bakwe. And we're here at Greenbrier Valley Brewing in their new tap room location, which isn't quite open yet, but I'm here with I'm here with all the, the wonderful people from the Greenbrier crew, including head brewer. Well, I guess he's not head brewer. He's director of brewing operations. That's correct. Uh, Brian Rymiller. And then uh, I guess I call you the majority owner, Bill Heckle. Yes. And, uh, of course, Aaron's here, too. Hello. Yeah, we're all here. Welcome to our podcast. Thanks, Thanks for having us. us. Thanks and for coming down. We're excited to be here because uh, so much has been going on uh, here at the brewery uh, in the last year and a half. And Bill, since you came in, came on board, maybe it's been almost two years. I've been active in it for two years, a yeah. little over, but as um, owner since July of uh, 2018. Yeah, so I'm kind of curious. Um, you know, that's not your background. I mean, you weren't a brewery person before that. And just kind of curious as this year and a half, man, what have you found out working and trying to run a brewery? Oh, there's a lot of different obstacles. Um, yeah, you got to deal with uh, producing a quality product in a consistent manner, being able to get that in timely to your distributors. And uh, <clears throat> we got an excellent person here in Brian Rymiller that uh, makes sure that that happens. And uh, another team with Gary Vermillion as far as logistics, getting them on the trucks. And then your sales. You want to make sure that there's a fresh, good product always out there. Yeah. Well, so what parts of this experience of the last year and a half and kind of your uh, immersion in it uh, full time, I mean, what parts have probably been maybe different from what you might have expected? Well, um, the biggest difference uh, that, I, that I've seen is just sales and making sure that you're getting into a um, – different markets, um, different stores, off-premise, on-premise pre- uh, uh, relations, making sure that you not only get in there, but you keep your taps. You get on, on a shelf, you stay on those shelves. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it requires going back to each of your uh, customers and uh, making sure that you stay consistent with them. Yeah, and those are things that, uh, I mean, they're, they're probably a lot like any business in a way, right? I mean, kind of like just good business practices. Right. Yeah. For example, we uh, uh, we started, I think we were in eight Kroger's, and now we're in every single one in West Virginia. And uh, yeah. we're moving into uh, more um, convenience stores as far as off-premises going. And uh, I know we just sent stuff out for Walmart to uh, Bennett, uh, Bentonsville. Arkansas? Oh, my goodness. Bentonville yeah. the other day. And yeah, that's yeah. pretty nice to be invited by them. Yeah, that is. So what parts of uh, this do you think you've taken to, as a manager of a business, what parts have you taken to most easily, you think? Oh, uh, the meet and greet, going out and meeting people and stuff. That's where in business it always stays. The face-to-face stays kind of consistent. It's uh, the day-to-day operations that uh, is where this is a totally new aspect of my business. I wasn't in a production facility, even though, like, I come from movie theaters, uh, leasing and uh, construction. It's a, it's a, it's a different ballgame, uh, production and manufacturing. 
Well, I'm going to throw this question out to both Bill and Brian. I personally have never worked in a brewery, but I'm interested in the overall operations of the brewery as a total business, how all the parts fit together. Um, from your experience, what are some of the key things that made it run smoothly, and what are some of the areas hardest to get right when it comes to achieving growth? You want me to go first? You go first. Uh, to ma- uh, First, let's uh, address uh, running smoothly. Uh, I would say the first thing is funding will definitely make things run uh, more smoothly. Absolutely. Uh, and then the second part of that question was? The second part is what is the hardest to get right when it comes to achieving growth as far as the areas and the uh, business operation? You know, I think it's um, yeah, it's probably a term that's been overused, but I think it's, it's pertinent in this situation. It's communication uh, between all departments and then from our departments to our dis- uh, distributors and from our salespeople to their salespeople and the interaction. Just a clear, concise um, uh, communication between everybody and all departments, I think, is, um, you know, it's another key to, um, to being successful. But, uh, you know, it, it may sound like, oh, that's an easy, that's a low-hanging fruit answer to your question. But uh, I think it's, it, it's, uh, it, uh, it's definitely useful. Um, I can definitely agree on the funding aspect because uh, that's what makes this business go. If you under, you're underfunded, you're not going to succeed. Um, the other thing is uh, one of the things where we've changed our management scheme up is we're more of a vertical. We're not a vertical company. We are a uh, we're, we're more uh, horizontal than vertical. I'd like to say like. We have to make sure there's continuity between our departments. So this is when the beer is going to be made. This is what we're going to have for packaging. we got to know what we're going to have. And uh, it kind of keeps it uh, on cue with everybody so that uh, we didn't overproduce something then have to dump beer because we have a – it's perishable. There's only a window, a, a window of cells. Uh, well, um, to grow larger, it seems like you would need so many specially trained and qualified people. How do you match staffing to the business needs when things are ever evolving? It seems like that would be a challenge. All it is, and uh, that's why we you know, have um, good directors in each department. Um, Brian comes with multiple, multiple years of experience in the brewing side. Um, his He keeps a tight ship, uh, ship with his uh, brewers and uh, uh, you know, separators to make sure that the beer is going to the uh, packaging and the facilities and the logistics side so that they're ready to there to uh, package at the the right time. Um, it's, uh, and then on to sales where Alex is, oversees that. Then we have an IT person that kind of makes sure that we're all on the same page. And Brian, when you're um, down in the brewery, and the nuts and bolts. I mean, I know there's been a lot of changes since uh, bills come on, uh, you know, new equipment, new process controls, new, I mean, probably new ingredients. I mean, could you comment a little about how you've worked in the last year and a half to really, you know, I don't know, reform that process or, or whatever you were trying to do? Just Yeah. Um, so we start off from square one. You know, we took this as an opportunity to say, okay, guys, we've got an existing brewery. Let's start from square one. So with that came structure. We had to build some structure um, and, and get the, and you know, go back to staffing, uh, you know, build, uh, 
uh, build a brewing schedule around the staff that we had, um, you know, in a lot of training. So uh, I'd say that a lot of that, you know, it did. It, it started from square one and just building a structure. This is how we're going to do things, guys. Um, and uh, building expectations, not just my expectations, but like their, uh, you know, my, my staff's expectations. Ex- ex- their expectations as well you know what what do you want out of this um, job what do you what do you want to do what do you want to learn why are you here you know those kind of things and uh um and all of us are just a super dedicated uh staff these guys are the best of the best i'd uh i would put them happily put them in any brewery tomorrow so on your plan of action how far along are you you think to getting where you wanted to be or still want to be uh we still have ways to go um you know these guys are well versed in what we're doing now but um i think they would tell you the same thing as what i'll say is uh, that we could do better but um you know with growth comes new shiny toys and new sops yeah. or new shiny toys um and, and training for all of that stuff uh but um, these guys are—they're pretty resilient, you know. We've been thrown a lot of curveballs, and um, so far we keep crushing them. So when you came back to the brewery a year and a half ago or so, or now I guess closer to two years, maybe, um, what was the production, or at least the the ability to produce in volume at that point? Do you think with the equipment you started with before you expanded? Uh, actually, uh, Bill had, um, Bill and I had been in contact, I think maybe a year after I left. Um, so there was another year where Bill and I were, uh, we first met and then we were hanging out and talking, discussing ideas about future. So actually a lot of that stuff, uh, Bill waited, um, until he needed me and then I came back, but, uh, um, a lot of that stuff was in place. So uh, basically, I had to come back and then I'm like, okay, this is how we're going to use this equipment. And uh, we had to run it, play with it. Uh, we had to mess up a lot to figure things out. Um, but, uh, but we've learned. And um, yeah, I think we've got uh, moving forward. Like I said, these guys, uh, we've been thrown uh, a, lot of, uh, a lot of hurdles. But, uh, well, you're in a good position then now with uh, levels of production and as far as your capacities and the different aspects of the brewery. Yeah. And with, the, again, the number of different products you're making, which I know could change. Yeah, we're uh, we're trying to uh, keep things fresh. Um, you know, that, uh, I work with uh, with Alex a lot. You know, he's out in the market a lot more than I am. You know, I know what beers that I want to drink, and I, I I try to try something new um, when I can. Uh, but you know, he um, you know uh, these days I'm um, as far as the brewers go, I'm kind of one of the older guys. I mean, this like <laughs> no, it, it does. Oh, it. You know, there's a uh, <laughs> These brewers now, you know, these guys, there's a lot of stuff that, you know, when I started back in the 90s, there was no milkshake IPAs. There was nothing like that. So, uh, you know, I don't know anything about that. But so I kind of rely on Alex to keep me up with trends. And, uh, you know, we discuss, hey, what's going to sell? What's going to work? What should we be doing? What can we do to uh, keep people interested in Greenbrier Valley Brewing Company? But to summarize, I guess, the actual production equipment today, uh, you're pretty much where you need to be and no planned expansions right on the horizon. Nope. There's always stuff that we're planning, but you know, <laughs> when they happen, it's when they happen. It's uh, well, usually an expansion ha- happens when you're hit nearing capacity in your business plan. I mean. Well, uh, <laughs> as far as right now, um, and um, this isn't going on like 
pure numbers. We still have a lot of growth to go into the facility that we have, and that was the plan from day one. We, uh, we, we this was a five-year process, uh, and there's plans, but there's nothing definite. There's definitely some uh, moves that we're making uh, to prepare for it. Um, but right now, we still have over 50% capacity that we can do in, in our facility. Um, it's a five-year plan, and it looks like we're going to meet where we were going to be in less than three to four. Yeah, that's pretty impressive growth there. Yeah. Um, I've always wondered how you determine what beers you want to make. So talk about that decision process. Um, you know, I've always kind of, uh, I've been doing this a while and, you know, I thought the philosophy of like, I'm going to brew beers that I want to drink. Uh, and that works in the nineties and like early two thousands, but, uh, you know, and then, you know, I get older and I still, my tastes are still the same as what they were back then. But, uh, so you really, um, you need to be flexible and I think you really need to pay attention to, uh, your consumers, what they like. Right. Um, and then, uh, and a lot of times, you know, if you listen to consumers, they're going to turn you on to new things that sure. you hadn't tried. So, sure. um, how do I determine what we're going to make? Um, you know, I, I think uh, part of it is, is that, uh, like I was talking about earlier with, uh, with Alex, you know, he and, uh, the sales force, they're out there talking to consumers, bar owners, um, every day. I'm not in the bars every day. So, you know, I listen to what they have to say. You know, what what's exciting? What are they in competition with? You know, what are people buying? Um, so I take that in, and then, you know, I sit and I chew on that for a little bit and be like, okay, this is what we can do um, to put Greenbrier Valley spin on it. Um, and by by saying that, what, we, what I try to do is, uh, I think, with all of our seasonal stuff, we try to tie in as much local ingredients as we can. Um, I'm lucky enough to have a wheat farmer that's uh, right up on top of Droop Mountain, you know, 30-minute ride from the brewery, and he brings the wheat down on the back of his pickup truck. Wow. Uh, yeah. Convenient. So, uh, <laughs> yeah, it is. It's not malted, you know, so we try to use as much uh, um, unmalted wheat as what we can. You know, it could uh, potentially you know, use too much. It could uh, cause you problems. But, uh, you know, luckily our um, – mash kettle we're able to do multiple um mash infusion uh, mash infusion temperatures and uh, modify that uh, unmalted wheat as we need to but uh between that and then of course you know just anything you know if we're able to talk to farmers to get uh, local berries i'm like okay we've got berries what can what kind of what can we do with this or uh you know with a gosa you know it's like okay well there's a big salt mine up here in charleston like what can we do with this? Mm-hmm. Sure. Yeah, Absolutely. It uh, just makes sense. So that, uh, you know, talking to consumers, uh, talking to bar owners, talking to our sales staff, and then what can we do to make something unique? And uh, that basically is uh, my thought process. Um, how about talking about some new products that might be on the horizon if there are new products that you have up and coming? Uh, you know, there is some new stuff. Um, you know, we ran, I don't know, maybe what, six, seven, maybe eight, uh, seasonals last year. I have to ask Alex. I don't know, but, uh, um, you know, some of them were great. Uh, and some, well, they're, they can't all be zingers, I guess, (laughs) but, uh, um, but you know, we'll, uh, restructure at least, um, 
we took it, we killed we we took at least three out and uh, are going to replace those. I think we've got uh, um, plans on doing a bigger IPA um, using some different hops uh, that we don't is uh, that isn't in our uh, you know isn't in our armory so to speak um, and try some new things and uh, also work with uh, our suppliers on that and just uh it's tough um because what if it does take off and everybody really really loves it and then now i've got to figure out how to contract these hops for next year it's uh it's 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 tough yeah that's one thing that i was thinking about sometimes uh, you can't predict well ahead uh, things like hop availabilities in certain varieties that has to play a role though sometimes in in what you do or maybe you have to reformulate a beer how does that work for you we do we um we've reformulated some things uh based on different suppliers malt suppliers um but uh, uh you know it, it's uh luckily we haven't had too many issues with that and uh not being able to um procure uh, any any of the main ingredients so we're we're careful and uh, thoughtful because I've done that before and uh, I've learned from my mistakes. But uh, so we're we're just uh, you know there's uh, always a little bit of risk, but it's calculated. Well, with the craft beer market getting ever more crowded each day, how do you go about making a beer that's going to stand out for the from or excuse me stand out from the crowd? What is your thinking on that? Uh, again, I, I have to go back with uh, go back to you know using local ingredients. Um, you know that that's a great question because you know everybody like how many IPAs are on the market now? I mean every brewery and then every brewery's got multiple IPAs. Right. They're they're great beers. They sell well. Everybody loves them. Um, I love them. But uh, I, you know how do you make an IPA stand out from the crowd? Well, first you got to be consistent. It's got to be drinkable. It's got to be good. Uh, and the second is if um, in, in my mind, if you can say, hey, you know, I, we used uh, this. Was, these hops were grown here, or um, uh, these malts were grown here. Um, you know, if we can tie in West Virginia into our beers, um, that's what we're going to do. And uh, I think that's one thing that we can do to. Uh, um, you stand above the the sea of IPAs. Yeah, and and what I'm always curious about too is even though it's a good beer and it might be made well and all that, and it might even stand out from some of the crowd, but how do you make a beer that's going to sell well? Because in the bottom line, when you take it to new markets and things, what's the key? What have you learned about how to make a beer that actually really sells well? Uh, yeah. Okay, well, let's uh, probably the low-hanging fruit is that almost anybody, you can put IPA on the label, and it will probably sell. <laughs> uh, we love our IPA. Yeah, so, so there's that. Um, but how to, uh, you know, we're still learning. You know, we're going into new markets now. We've gone into, what, two new markets this year, that, uh, this past year? So we're, we're still learning um, because, you know, like, you know, you go into a market and uh, they're like, well, we, we've got plenty of IPAs. But, hey, you know what? We don't have a black IPA. So the distributors will focus on that, on that aspect of like, well, we don't have to work real hard on selling this IPA if they've got this black IPA. So they'll, they'll focus on selling that one for us. So it could make uh, our jobs harder. Um, but, you know, it, it's one of those things where, um, you know, we just get the product in front of people, let them try it, let them, you know, let them judge. 
A lot of it comes to sales and marketing, too. Um, <clears throat> we uh, try to have uh, attractive cans or displays uh, that I believe helps a lot. Using, especially in West Virginia, using local lore to name the, the beers after, I think, really helps. Um, gives it an identifiable uh, trait that someone mm-hmm. can look at and say, well, like right now we have uh, our Settle the Feud kind of thing going with our Double Ants IPA and our Old Randall Pilsner, and it seems to be working. Thank you, Brian, for joining us on this first segment of our podcast with Greenbrier Valley Brewing. And, uh, Bill, you're going to return with us right after this break, and we're going to have Alex Durand here, your sales and marketing manager, join us, and we're going to get into that sales and distribution a little bit deeper in the new markets and everything that you guys are working in. So we'll be right back. Thanks, Charles. Thanks, Aaron. Thank you. Thanks. I just wanted to take a minute to let you know that we have photos of Bill Heckel, Brian Rye Miller, and Alex Duran taken during the recording of this podcast. Uh, also, some pictures of the art at the new Greenbrier Valley Tap House in uh, downtown Lewisburg. All these photos can be found on BrilliantStream.com. Just look under Recent Articles at BrilliantStream.com. Shouldn't have any trouble finding it. Now let's get back to the tap house. Well, we're back with Bill Heckel and a new guest, Alex Durand from Greenbrier Valley Brewing Company. And we're going to move over now and talk more about the focus that the business has had, especially in recent times, on expanding distribution. That's really a something kind of well not totally new but at the scale you guys are looking at it i think it's a real advancement for a west virginia brewery and and bill maybe you could uh, talk a little bit about what role expanding distribution is playing in the brewery's business plan well it's uh, to get to a regional uh, facility to where we're more than just west virginia but we do focus on west virginia we're now in the Maryland, D.C., Virginia markets with plans to go into Kentucky, Ohio, and North Carolina um, relatively soon. I can't give you a firm date because it's one of those that we gotta we got to hunt down what distributors we really need to, to focus on, which one's going to work with us um, and be a good fit. Mm-hmm. And how do you decide, though, that, you know, okay, I'm in this state and this state now, but why do I decide to go to... Pennsylvania versus Ohio or you know how do you make those decisions on what geographic areas to expand into well Virginia is proximity it's literally 20 miles away Um, yeah that's a kind of a natural and whenever you go there the DC moves right into uh, into that next market because it's kind of joining and we share uh, um, uh, Maryland is one that we experimented with because we could get in with uh, one distributor and handle the whole state mm-hmm. and uh, not overcommit ourselves. That's honestly Ohio scared me at first because their market is so vast that we yeah. could go there and then realize we can't produce enough if we did take off. Um, Kentucky seems like a natural fit with this for us just because our largest market right now is still southern West Virginia. Um, if you go from Greenbrier County all the way over uh, to Huntington, from Lewisburg to Huntington, um, it, it's a market that 
I don't want to say we own it, but we're one of the the biggest players in it. Uh, I know Big Timber still does well, and all the other. And there's great breweries from Weathered Ground, uh, Sophisticated Hound, mm-hmm. uh, Peddler, um, Bad Shepherd, and Free Folk Bridge Brew Works. There's Southern West Virginia has it, but we have a, a very good a market share. Um, and we want to keep establishing. We get people asking us sending us messages every day whether to come to kentucky ohio north carolina pennsylvania well i realize people probably ask you but that's a good business decision what factors are you going to weigh to to decide when is it right to go to kentucky well it to me it looks like as long as we know we can produce enough and not overwhelm ourselves in the market that's what scares me still with ohio we need to go into ohio slowly uh, because if we step in, let's say through the right. Athens market, um, it's 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 a good market and it's a craft centric market. But the whole state, that's it's a scary state to go into full bore. We want to go in, maybe uh, take steps in instead of just trying to go and cover the whole state. First of all, the product we need and is our product going to sell? It's not like West Virginia. West Virginia is a, uh, where we are, a West Virginia company, and West Virginians are loyal to West Virginia product. And, yeah. um, no, that's true. So, um, but we seem to have, there's a lot of transplants in Ohio. There's a lot of transplants in uh, North Carolina. And I just feel we have a lot in common with Kentucky. Um, you've been experiencing some pretty rapid growth, and I'm wondering if you could talk about the growth in your sales in this immediate past 12 months compared to the previous year. Yeah, so last year we were able to experiment a little bit with um, our seasonal releases. Uh, we had some small batches. It was a little test, like Brian had mentioned earlier, where we were able to source local products um, and then kind of play around. The brewery had four flagships when I came on, and then we expanded to having a black lager and then also a pilsner. We also put out a wit beer in cans. Our main focus was these our can push and our packaged can product, but people want variety and whatever's new uh, coming out from that brewery to see kind of like what they're able to produce. So we tested a couple of these limited releases and the feedback was phenomenal. The sourcing uh, maple syrup from Daniels, West Virginia um, got a huge uh, response. Same thing with using JQ Dickinson from Charleston and using their salt. The West Virginia products that we used allowed us to see if that's something we'd be able to share out of state. So looking at the numbers from last year, uh, we were able to, like Bill had said, triple a batch or double a batch. So we're scheduled to double all of our top-selling seasonal releases, which is our Festivale, which is a Kolsch. We also have our Green Bank Goza and our Irish Dave's Maple Bourbon Porter, which is scheduled to release out March 1st. The uh, state's around us were very very interested in the product as well they wanted as much irish daves as they could get their hands on Uh, we're fortunate to have distributors in virginia and then dc area that really actually some of them are from west virginia so they're 
they got our backs and they love talking about West Virginia product and what we're doing for the state as well. So West Virginia first in that particular circumstance where we were able to increase sales with variety and then see if we were able to uh, have the interest out of state, which we'll do this year. What products are growing the most and which ones are shrinking, if any? Seems to be kind of a plateau with um, a few of our canned products, but the we released when we released our flagships and cans, the sales increased because there's more opportunity in getting them on shelves um, in Kroger's and Walmart's and convenience stores. The Oranel in certain areas, which is our Pilsner, um, is creeping up, and it's only it hasn't even been out for a year, and it's creeping up to be um, our second. It's like our second best seller over our Wild Trail. Um, Zonas and Mothman, which have been around longer. Yeah, that's uh, uh, something that I think we've, Aaron and I have even talked about as we came over here today, and uh, was that like the can sizes as a choice you have to make in distribution, and, uh, and, and wondering, you know, you guys are in 12 ounce cans. Some breweries do a mix of 12s and 16s or bottles. You guys choose a 12 ounce six pack as your primary uh, distribution. Uh, for off-premise anyway. Talk about that, how you make those selections and why you choose those sizes. So the uh, 12-ounce can um, is a pretty easily consumed product. That's what's out there in the market, but you have to stay competitive. So as you mentioned that, we're actually looking to change some of our packaging type for this year. We're going to be doing uh, 19-2s. So we're going to do for singles. Um, We're going to test it out with our Festivale. Uh, we've been working with convenience stores um, and see how that singles market works. Yeah, and I had not heard that before, so that's, this is news to me, and I, I, I like that. <laughs> I like, like that. that. Alex, <laughs> I, I knew you'd give some good information today. Go ahead, that's though. That's exciting. Yeah. So, yeah, and then this way we can see, so the festivals had a lot of, uh, we were able to test the market. It's been around. And then now putting in this package product to see if the C store convenience stores um, is something we be able to do. There's been demand for 16-ounce cans, but we want to see where that is. So a lot of other breweries from out-of-state and in-state do 16-ounce cans. I'd like to see single-serve in stadiums um, and then convenience stores, and we'll be able to kind of test that this year. Well, last year, the, um, correct me if I'm wrong, but, but Festival was only available on draft, right? And so this will be not only the it will be in a 19.2 ounce can, but it's also the first year it's been packaged in a in a can or bottle. Mm-hmm. Yep, and we're going to still keep our focus around uh, Festival in Charleston, and but also like I said, play with uh, convenience stores. Yeah, well, that's an excellent beer. I mean, I really enjoyed that one last year when it came out the, the second time, I guess the, the last year's version. And so hopefully. Uh, you won't let Brian mess with the formula and the recipe. <laughs> That's with the last year, and it was better. <laughs> well, I want to know about uh, selling beer in Virginia and Maryland, places that you're now pretty well established, or at least you're all in with some distributors, and, and kind of like what you're learning it takes to sell beer in these markets that are very well developed with craft. There's scores and scores of local craft breweries. You're also competing against all the regional and national brands, many of which aren't even in West Virginia market, but you're having to go seek shelf space, tap handles. 
talk about how what's it take these days for a new brand from a small brewery like Greenbrier Valley to break into a, a market like Northern Virginia or D.C., Maryland? Again, I'd like to speak on the fact that we have a really um, large support. We kind of make concentric circles around West Virginia, as we've been right now. Um, with the D.C. area, again, having somebody from Lewisburg talk about our product, who's the head of their sales force, are, really helps. They find some of these mountaineer bars and sports bars that are familiar with this area and like the Greenbrier Hotel. Mm-hmm. So you are kind of looking for a local connection to West Virginia, even though you're in an out-of-state market. Yeah, and it requires it requires us to look at it too. So like, yeah, is, West Virginians are really loyal to West Virginia products. Some of these larger cities are very loyal to their local brew pub. And in certain areas, a regular IPA isn't going to cut it. Um, and we have a pretty diverse portfolio where we can say, hey, here's a a black IPA. Yeah. So what do you lead with? I mean, how do you determine in that particular market or bar what I'm going to lead with or what you work with your distributor lead with? Because I, I know that has to go through a distributor. Mm-hmm. So we work with a distributor. Um, we talk about our portfolio and then also, I mean, it's a case by case basis. You make a, uh, this is like the way we did it in West Virginia. You make a friendly contact and do some tasting, see what product they like, see what product Again, our portfolio is pretty large, so if they've got IPAs, it's pretty easy to say, hey, how about this, have you had a whip beer that is pretty true to style, and a black IPA, or I notice you don't have too many loggers on, so it's definitely case by case um, in like every account that we go to. And how does that work? How do you open up the uh, on-premise, I mean, excuse me, the off-premise retailer, the grocery stores, the convenience stores? How do you open those shelf places up? out of state when again you're away from your home market so the the different off-premise locations in virginia particularly they have a lot of their laws are kind of geared to allow us to have an interaction with customers so for instance if i were to go to um, a total wine which were in a majority of the total wines in uh, the dc area i can host an event talk to the account and say here are the six products that we have in cans currently and then i can set up and do tasting so as you walk through the door i can say i'm from Greenbrier valley brewing company in west virginia and then hand them a sample of the beer and spread the word of mouth like one customer at a time yeah i mean it sounds like that's a it's still maybe kind of slow i mean do you have i mean i just that's the way it it is though there isn't an easy route and festivals as well like mm-hmm. uh, i know that's where when we first went into the dc market uh, the irish daves was the one that everybody really? wanted it, it, it was it was it didn't even last an hour yeah huh. wow everybody else was wasn't kicking kegs and we i think kicked all of ours in a matter of an hour so so then by nature they came back the next time around so, Bill, when you're interviewing distributors, that, you know, for your product to take it again to a new market or out of, out of state that where where you know again the, the local people aren't as familiar with us, um, what do you look for in that distributor as far as what stands out to you in a distributor that makes you? And you talked a little about this earlier, but maybe you could expand on it's, that. Some. It's still a, um, a, I'm still on a trial basis myself. It's. It's like everybody's going to give their sales pitch. But, for example, uh, one of our distributors that we're working with, 
if they're willing to like separate from us if it's not working out that's a big thing for me it's uh you know that we're here to succeed together and if it's not working and not one that just wants to get your product and say okay then that's it it's someone that understands that we're not a huge company um you know we're we're i'd say one of the biggest in west virginia but in general we're still a relatively small microbrewery well even in west virginia and i'm not talking about greenbrier valley here but i've just heard from distributors who say oh we sign up these local breweries but and they all just think they don't have to do anything that we're supposed to go out and sell their beer for them and they don't want to put any money in marketing so i know you guys don't seem to have a problem with spending some money to support your marketing you you have to because if you're not out in the market um you'd probably know the numbers better but from uh, prior to me being there how many uh, events would we do the uh the year that you came on we had maybe a total of like 20 um that were your festivals that always happen in west virginia and then we did completed now mind you we had a sales force of three um we were able to complete over 150 events last oh year yeah but that's it that's just staffing up too to having the, the reps on the ground you know the feet on the street uh, that's a, a big expense and a big investment it's an investment but it's it's return that's how we've actually got into uh all the kroger sets people are they ask for our product and it's because we're there and we show up. I don't know. You get into all these Kroger sets and then you're going down. You'll be in Walmart and you're in all the Total Wines. I mean, my goodness, you're going to have to expand this brewery. I don't know. Just... Well, <laughs> in, the, in the future, we hope, right? That, that is the goal. Well, I'm it's interested. Kind of, I'm sorry. Go ahead. It's kind of expensive to do it overnight. <laughs> well, of course. Of course. Yeah. And you've got to get through your first five-year plan. Yes. Um, I'm interested in hearing more about the upcoming Lewisburg tap room that we are, of course, sitting in. Alex, this is your project? Um, it's kind of a group project. Um, I've worked in, I put in the lines, and we've, I've worked in, I um, was a bar manager for a while. So we have an awesome bar manager named Annie, who's actually, uh, she couldn't be here today, but she's going to be the one running the craft house. Okay. Um, in addition to the tap room at the brewery. And so it's called Craft House. Give me the official name. The official name is the Greenbrier Valley Craft House. Yeah, because obviously your tap room technically will still be at the brewery, but you'll then run this as a separate business uh, venture. Yeah. yeah. It's still wholly owned by the uh, the brewery. That way it's legal. Um, but uh, <clears throat> we want to have uh, West Virginia products uh, feature, um, for example, all the other West Virginia breweries. Yeah, it's um, it's kind of I like to think of it as like a beer visitor center. Yeah, I like that nice. sound. So yeah. you can come in. Um, it's been geared to be a primer for the city of Lewisburg as well, so we don't compete with the local businesses and the peak hours. This is a place you can stop in, have a beer. You'll know what kind of events are happening in town, and then also what to do around in, in the area. I'm an avid um, outdoors person, like hiking. Uh, we work with the state park system, and they provided tons of information and pamphlets so people can come in this area, which they're already doing uh, for tourism, uh, to go hiking, go boating, go down the river, ride a bike um, down the river trail. And this will be a stop where you can look at some maps, hang out, talk to the staff about what makes this area great, and try beers from around the state. It's a great concept. It's exciting. Do you have um, a target opening day or date, month, something? I'm, I'm hoping as soon as possible. Soon. Yeah. <laughs> so it looks like it's coming along really well. 
Yep. And it's been like this for about a month now. We actually were able to uh, work with some uh, local vendors as well um, in producing some of the furniture and um, our current, our graphic artist uh, was able to put a mural up and then we worked with a company out of Monroe County called the Mason Dixon Boys and they put together this awesome hand carved with chainsaws, or I guess chainsaw carved, uh, bench. <laughs> we have... Um, Next door, our neighbors are at a lumber mill, and they've taken a liking to our beer. And they've put together some tables. We have a local welder that put together the uh, the fixtures for that as well. Got barrels from Smooth Ambler and Hawk Knob in here as well. Sounds like there's a lot going on here, guys, at Greenbrier Valley. And I, I think uh, we've learned a lot, haven't we? We've absolutely learned a lot. It's been a, a, an exciting day. Yeah, tap room, new tap room, new um, new beers on the horizon, all kinds of new markets being developed. And I, I think that it's a very significant accomplishment because we've not had a West Virginia brewery to this extent try to enter you know other markets outside of the state. And uh, I know it's a challenge, and, and man, I sure hope you guys go tear them up. Well, thank you. Absolutely. We wish you the best. Well, thanks again. Can I ask you a question? But what is it? You want to drink a beer? Oh, well, yeah, we're going to have a beer. Absolutely. Hey, hey, hey uh, but wait. One more thing. Uh, we'll just go drink a beer. We'll go have a beer. <laughs> Cheers. Cheers. <laughs> and if you uh, look at the Brilliant Stream website and maybe the section even on this particular podcast you will see we'll put some pictures up of some of the art here and the chainsaw bench and the chainsaw carp bench and just so people can see the front of the tap room and know what it looks like so when you get to lewisburg you can stop in here because it looks like it's going to be a a great place not only to to enjoy uh, greenbrier valley beers but like they said uh, also the beers from other west virginia breweries great idea This brings us to the close of another podcast. Remember, you can subscribe on Apple, Spotify, or your favorite podcast host. Thank you for listening to West Virginia Beer Roads. West Virginia Beer Roads is a production of BrilliantStream.com. BrilliantStream.com